All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Before we turn to Genesis, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 gives us a lesson about the Old Testament and what happened to the saints then. It tells us in verse 6, Now these things were our examples, to the intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. When you go back and read the stories of the Old Testament, they're given for a lesson of warning to us, according to this sixth verse, that we will be judged as they were judged if we follow their practice of sinning. The New Testament goes on to say in Hebrews chapter 2, 6, 10, and 12 that we'll be judged more severely than the Old Testament because we've been given greater liberties and privileges and knowledge under the New Testament. It says in chapter 10 and verse 11, Now all these things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon the whom the ends of the world are come. The things of the Old Testament and what happened there, which characters are pulled forward, and what events in their lives are recorded, are for an example to us. They are examples to us. And they are written for our admonition. There is instruction in the examples and events of the lives of the men and women of the Old Testament for our learning upon whom the ends of the world are come. We are at the end of the world, and the things that were written in the Old Testament are for our profit. Look at Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15 on the same line of thought. Our subject is the character of Joseph, and we will try, by the grace of God, to exhaust what the Bible tells us about this man, to provoke us to be like him, men and women to have his character, to have his faithfulness, godliness, his faith, his fear of the Lord, his hatred of sin, his zeal. No matter what the circumstances, didn't let circumstances move him. We will never have circumstances that even approach him. And we should not be moved. Romans 15 and verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. The things that were written aforetime, the Old Testament was written for a purpose, and the Bible tells us. I'm thankful for the Word of God when it explains things, like why we have an Old Testament. It's three quarters of your Bible. But we're told why we have an Old Testament. It was written for our learning. And by the grace of God, let's learn something this morning. Amen. Pay attention. If, you did, if you're tired this morning because you didn't go to bed last night, it's your fault. Confess it to God and get over it. Right. If you need to sneak out of here and go get yourself a Mountain Dew, then do it. Do the do. Do whatever you've got to do to pay attention to God's Word because it's for our learning. It's not for the sound of words on your ears. It's for the sense of words in your heart that will lead to your feet taking you in the right way. Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. What, what should we learn? That we through patience. Behold, 
We count them happy which endure. If thou faintest in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. We count them happy which endure. You will never have trials that even come close to the trials of a Joseph or of a Job or of the other heroes of enduring of the Old Testament. You'll never come close. We shouldn't be moved. Behold, we count them happy. Because look at the blessing God pours out upon those that endure. All of our trials, all of our afflictions are come, come from heaven. They do not come from people. They do not come from government. They do not come from poor nutrition. They come from God. All of our afflictions. All of our trials. All of our tribulations. And we are supposed to endure them. Not cave in under them and show how wimpy we are and how little faith we have and how little fear of God we have. We want to be like Joseph. So we, it, the Bible says that the Old Testament is written to teach us patience and comfort. See, if I didn't sound very comforting in what I just said, well, there's some comfort back there because there's rewards. Did the Lord take care of Joseph? Yes. Did Moses waste 40 years in the wilderness? I wouldn't call it a waste. Was he taken care of after that? Yes. How about David? Was he pulled out of the sheep? The youngest son. Was he blessed? Yes. How about Daniel? How about Esther? How about others? The Lord took care of them. There's comfort in the Scriptures that we might have hope. Hope is not based on the people around us. Hope is not based on our circumstances. Hope is not based on a new president giving us new promises. We've heard them all our lives, haven't we? Hope is based on God's Word. Hope is based on the patience and comfort of God's saints if they were written and recorded. We have three quarters of your Bible for Bible stories for us to be taught patience and comfort that we might have hope. A Christian should never be hopeless. If they're hopeless, it's because they've given themselves over to the devil. Hopelessness never characterizes a child of God. Joseph was never hopeless. Moses wasn't hopeless. Daniel wasn't hopeless. Paul wasn't hopeless. That's to be destroyed. Hopelessness is a sign of the devil because his case is hopeless. Ours never is. And this is why we have the Old Testament. I'm not making this up. Are you looking at the verse and realizing we have the Old Testament to learn something? That through the patience of godly men and the comfort God gave them for enduring the things they faced, that we might have hope. Wonderful. Wonderful. James 5.11 Behold! Behold! We count them happy which endure. What are you enduring right now? Is it too much for you? You're a wimp. Lay hold of the God. Lay hold of these stories. Lay hold of Joseph. You say, why are you calling me a wimp? Because of this verse, I'll, I'll quote it again in case you missed it. If thou faintest in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. God sent that adversity. I don't care if it's for one day. I don't care if it's for one year. I don't care if it's for your entire life. God sent that adversity. And if you had any faith, you'd be able to endure it. And not only would you endure it, you would endure it with a smile. And you would rejoice in it because it is sent from God. Because you're to count all things joy. You're to count all tribulations joy. Because they're made for your perfection and for the glory of God. 
God is not glorified when you're basking on your lees and drinking a mint julep because God has poured out prosperity in your life. His greatest glory is, is obtained by men who in the face of adversity keep their trust and faith in God. We want to do that. Behold. You know what that word is? Hey! That's what it is. Behold! We count them happy which endure. We count. All of you accountants, you know, sharpen that pen. Well, pencil. Sharpen it. When men have put their trust in the Lord in the Bible, were they fed? Did they inherit the land? Were they blessed? Were their enemies cut off? Did it, was, is Psalm 37 true? Yes, it's true. Was a slave brought down into Egypt? And did he come to a position of power where he taught the Senate of Egypt wisdom? Amen. Listen, I didn't hear enough shouting during Psalm 105. Did you like Psalm 105 that you heard this morning? Amen. He taught the senators of Egypt wisdom. They didn't have any. They'd grown up worshiping dogs and being taught evolution. He taught them wisdom. All, all, all his subjects and all the princes of, Is, of Egypt lived at Joseph's pleasure. If he wasn't happy with them, life was over. Praise the Lord. Amen. And he was a slave. We Behold, we count them happy which endure. You say you're taking a long time on the introduction. Listen, I want you to never forget the words. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Just get out and add it up. Add it up. God takes care of those who put their trust in Him. And God deletes from those that don't. And that's what Psalm 37 was all about. With that, let's go to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. Now, when I'm, I'm asking you, and I hope many of you have already done it. Let's read Genesis 37 through 50. Once, twice, three times. Read it. Delight yourself in this story. Why in the world would you go to Walmart and buy yourself some novel? How can you match this? If you read it, if you read it with 50% sincerity, you'll cry. There's places in Genesis 37 through 50 you'll cry. You want emotional drama? You'll cry. If you read it with more than 50%, it's going to tear you up. It's a wonderful passage of Scripture. You can skip chapter 38. 38 is a sordid story about Judah. It's part of the Word of God, and don't get me wrong. It's there, and it belongs there. But Joseph's story is 37, and then 39 through the rest of the book of Genesis. Joseph lived to be 110 years old. Before he died, he called the family of Israel around him, and he made them swear. God's going to come and deliver you out of this land because that's what He told our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You get me embalmed and keep my bones in a casket. And when we go out of this place, I want there to be a box going along with you. And you know what? There was a box going along with them. And that box went round and round in the wilderness until they got into the land of Canaan where they could bury Him with His father and with His father and with His father. That's why He's in Hebrews 11. Because it says, by faith, by faith, Joseph knew that the Israelites were coming out of the land of Egypt. And he believed it. And so he said, get me embalmed and take my bones out. And they did. That's why he's in Hebrews chapter 11. He, he could be in Hebrews 11 for a whole lot more, couldn't he? Right. But you know, the Holy Spirit had to limit it because Hebrews 11 only had 40 verses. You know that, don't you? 
he had to cut Joseph short. Because he only had 40... Come on. He gave us Genesis so that we can read all the details. Hebrews 11 is to, is to whet our appetite. Oh, there's a man named Joseph. And he's in here by faith. Let's go read what else the Bible has to say about him. And here's what we, we find a great deal about him. He advanced from a lowly shepherd boy to second most powerful ruler in Egypt, though he was a foreigner. Though he was from a despised group of people, the Egyptians despised the Hebrews. Though he had a despicable trade of being a shepherd. Here is one of the greatest persons in the history of the world. Why do you want to read about Napoleon Bonaparte? Why? There's nothing to learn. There is no value from his history. You will not learn, not in the, not in the least way, not one gram of substance for your life. Right. There is nothing in his life to help you live your life pleasing to God. Nothing. But we have this history, and it is for our learning, and we can learn things that will help us in our life. I am praying, and I am hoping, and I am working that you will delight yourself in this man, Joseph. And that you, young, old, men, women, boys, girls, will go out of here and say, I want to be like Joseph. You children, when your parents ask you to make your bed, take off that outfit, go out and cut the grass, you'll say, here am I. And you'll do it cheerfully. That's nothing like taking a 60-mile trip to find your brothers out in the middle of Canaan someplace with flocks of sheep. Yeah, that's how far it was. Nothing. Here am I. If you're ever picked on, demoted, oppressed, you'll laugh at it. Because you know that God can deliver you from it anyway. And out of conscience toward God, you'll suffer grief, enduring wrongful practices by your boss. Because you're going to remember Joseph. He was wronged, then then wronged, and then wronged, and then really wronged. But look where he ended up. Behold, we count them happy, which endure. And it's not just barely enduring. Surviving is not a Bible word. Great gain is a Bible word. Godliness with contentment. Prosper is a godly word. That's not surviving. That's succeeding. And that's what we want to learn. That's why I wanted to focus just briefly on the little adverb also. Delight thyself also in the Lord. Don't just believe in Him. Don't just fear Him. Delight yourself in Him. And He'll give you the desires of your heart. Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 and 2. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. He's 17 years old. Keep that in mind. Every one of these points I give you, I want to give his age. He's 17. He's not 7, he's 17. He has 10 older brothers. From Reuben, right on down the list. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, and so forth. He brings their evil report to his father. At 17 years of age, 
He was reporting the evil conduct of his brothers to his father. He wasn't tattling. He wasn't tailbearing because a father has a right to know what's going on in the family. Just as I told you on Wednesday evening, when you call the police and report some criminal in criminal activities, you are not being a tattler. You're not whispering. You're not being a tailbearer. You're helping authority do their job. The Bible's full of examples of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11. I have been told by the house of Chloe that there are divisions and strife in the church at Corinth. Do you think he rebuked the house of Chloe for helping him understand what was going on in that church? Had Chloe reported it to get anyone in trouble out of personal vengeance? Not a chance. That wasn't tattling. That is helping those in authority, and that shows a respect for authority. You know, I am ashamed when I hear about you children confronted by your parents. Who did this? I don't know. I don't know. And you go down the list. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That's not Joseph. If your father or mother are asking you who did something, and you did it, own up to it. If someone else did it, own them up to it. Because that's what a godly child would do. You're not doing it to get anyone in trouble. You're doing it because your parents asked you. And even if your parents don't ask you, if there's something going on that you know your parents don't want going on in your family, then you should report it. He didn't care if his brothers called him a tattletale. He didn't care if his brothers were going to whip on him in the bedroom later. He didn't care about that because he was going to help his father. He was going to honor authority. He hated wickedness. He loved righteousness. He was full of courage. And he was going to tell the truth. He wanted to protect his family's reputation just like his dad did. And he did this at 17 years of age. He, he cared more about doing what is right and the family doing what is right than being accepted or being popular, even at his vulnerable age. It's hard for 17-year-olds to take a stand because they want to blend in. They want to be accepted. They want to be approved. They want to be cool. Well, forget being cool. How about being great? In the eyes of the Lord. Most youth will protect friends and siblings from authority, even when they're questioned. If in school the teacher asks, comes, let's say the teacher has to step outside for two minutes and comes back in the classroom and something's been done foolishly while the teacher was gone, the teacher says, who did that? Is there someone strong enough to be a Joseph to stand up and say, he did it? That is hard. You know what's going to happen to you at recess, don't you? The Lord's going to bless you at recess. It depends if you want to be a Joseph. If you want to be a little pansy like everyone else, then just sit there. And leave that teacher in a quandary as to who did it, knowing that she has a whole classroom full of rebels who are rebelling and lying by sitting there. You are a liar when you know the truth and someone in authority asks you for the truth. I could go on with illustrations. When something happens in an office, and someone responsible for that office asks, what is go- does this mean anything to you? This, it means something to this brother and all those of you who know his situation with his business know that he has faced this recently where other employees covered 
for an employee stealing 150000 from him. He knows what I'm saying. But when somebody comes into an office that they're responsible for and says, who did that? Stand up and be counted. That's not tattling when you tell authority what's been done wrong. Look at Joseph at 17 years of age with 10 older brothers. Is that a lot of pressure? He didn't care. He cared about his father. He cared about his family. He cared about his God. He cared about truth. He cared about righteousness. He was full of courage. He honored authority. And he didn't care one bit about peer pressure. Peer pressure. I told you what that was on Wednesday night. It's when the people your age distort you. Peer pressure. They put pressure on you and distort you to look like them. Be different. Stand alone. Stand up. Stand with the Lord. If He's with you, you're in a majority anyway. Be a Joseph. Joseph at 17 reported the evil conduct of his brothers to his father in verse 2 of chapter 37. He showed the character traits of righteousness, courage, honor of authority, and disregard for peer pressure. Praise the Lord for such an example. May we all be that. May our children be that. And our children's children be that. You know what? If everyone was doing that, there'd be a whole lot less sin in the world, wouldn't there? If everyone knew they were going to get disclosed, exposed, and judged. Genesis chapter 37, let's come to verse 3. Now Israel, that's another name for Jacob. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Let's stop right there for a moment. Joseph was loved by his father more than the other ten brothers. And even his little brother Benjamin. But he did not use this privilege for sin. Do you know how many would use a privilege like that for sin? If his father loved him that much, he would know or he would presume that he could get away with more than his brothers. And many, the natural man would say, I'm going to use that for my own advantage. He didn't use it though for his advantage to sin. He didn't use it to resent his father for the trouble it caused. Because it caused him trouble. It made his brothers very jealous of him. He didn't use it to become lazy or resentful of assignments. He still wanted to please his dad, even though he knew he was the darling child. Even though he knew he was the favorite son. He still wanted to obey his dad. That takes character. Joseph had character. Nor did he despise his father for the extra affection and attention he showed him and didn't show to his brothers. This shows the character traits of submission to authority. My father's made this choice to single me out and to honor me. I am not going to use it. I'm not going to abuse it. I'm not going to let it distort me. I'm going to be faithful. This showed the character trait of contentment with his circumstances, though it cost him with his brothers, and ruling his spirit. He ruled his spirit. I know dad loves me. I'll bet I could get out of this if I just begged him. He didn't do that because he had character. He had integrity. Though dad loved him, he was going to be as faithful of a son as he possibly could be. Many favored children would use such affection from their parents for their own ends or they would despise a parent in their heart for being so weak and catering to them like Jacob catered to Joseph. Joseph didn't do that. The last part of verse 3, it says that Jacob made Joseph a coat of many colors. At 17 years of age, not seven, I've had seven seven seven-year-olds. I could get a seven-year-old to wear anything they 
that I wanted them to. I could put their pants on inside out. You say you didn't have very bright seven-year-olds. Well, that may be true, but I'm not. my point is not for that. A seven-year-old, you can get to wear about just a... How old are you, pup? Nine, that's good. Um, <laughs> I won't use you as an example. <laughs> you know what I mean. Seven is one thing. Seventeen is a different thing. There's a huge difference between a 7-year-old and a 17-year-old. And those of you who haven't had both are about to find out. There's a big difference. You can... How old are you? Anyway. A 7-year-old will wear most anything, but Daddy made up a special coat for this 17-year-old. 17. A coat of many colors. I'll bet that was pretty bright out there. I'll bet that was pretty strange. Look, I wonder if it was plaid. The Lord, Jacob did this to his son. He wanted to honor him. But that coat brought the resentment of his brothers. That coat made him uniquely different. And even when we try to tell our children in the 21st century that we would like them to dress differently by dressing better, guess what? They don't want to do it because they're wicked and stupid. If your parents want you to dress up and dress better than your peers... Isn't that a wonderful kindness? Oh no! I want to dress down to the lowest common denominator. I want to dress as sloppily and foolishly as I can. I want to look like the other bums at school or the other bums at the mall so I can look like trash like they do because then I can be cool trash. And that's how they all reason. Isn't it terrible? And a parent is trying to help their child dress up to be better than the crowd and they don't want it. They'll have nothing to do with it. Here's a 17-year-old that's wearing a goofy colored coat. I know you've always read it and said, wow, what an honor. Oh, no. Think about being 17, thinking about having 10 older brothers that think your coat is stupid, and they hate your coat, and you are uniquely different. You're a little daddy's boy wearing that thing around, and you're 17. Yes. In the morning when he got up, He pulled bicep poses. He was full of testosterone, but he wore what his father told him to wear, the coat of many colors. I love Joseph. Would to God that every 17-year-old in this church would be like Joseph. How old are you going to be in a few months? I think so, don't I? Am I thinking right? I am. Take that off and go put something else on. Yes, ma'am. Sound good? That's Joseph. Listen, if we don't make it practical like this, we might as well close up the book and go home. We've already read enough Scripture to satisfy any church. I'm trying to make this practical. All you you 13-year-olds, as you get older, here am I. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I'll do that. Listen. We've, we've worn your clothes before you were born, and we've had 30 years to think about how stupid they look. Can you listen to us for just a couple minutes? We know a little bit about fashion. I love the Word of God. Amen. He made him a coat of many colors. You know, if, if that's all we knew about it, we couldn't draw any conclusions or applications like I am right now. But we have verse 23, and it says, It came to pass when Joseph was coming to his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat his coat of many colors that was on him. 
He was wearing his coat of many colors, even though he knew his brothers hated it. He knew that it wasn't fashionable. He knew that it wasn't with the fads. It wasn't with the trends. He wore it anyway. Oh, I've, my parents used to make me wear certain things to school. If you children follow this, I want you to hate what your pastor did. My father didn't have very much money. So he bought us galoshes to wear over our shoes when we went to school. He'd send me out of the house with galoshes, which is a perfectly appropriate and right thing to do. And as soon as the bus came and was between my father's view out of the window and me, off went the galoshes and into my coat pocket. Because I, I couldn't afford not to be cool at school by wearing those stupid rubbers. Joseph's on a 60-mile trip to his brothers in verse 23. When he got out of the sight of his father, did he take the coat off and leave it behind a bush in a plastic bag to pick up on his way back home? No, he wore it the whole way. Thank you for not saying amen, brother, because I don't know what you did, but I'm sure it was just as bad. You know, aren't we all fools? Do you know what I knew about how much a a pair of shoes cost? And how much my father's income was? Nothing. Because I was retarded. Now that's just the tip of the iceberg. I love Joseph because I find him over there in verse 23, 60 miles from home, and he's still got his coat on. There's only one audience. It ain't dad, it ain't mom, and it ain't the uncles. It's his brothers who hate the coat. Come on now. You could wear it 59 and a half miles, then pull it off, put it in a plastic bag, put it under a bush, and then meet the brothers without it. Wouldn't you do that? Dad wanted him to wear the coat of many colors. You say he was an arrogant little brat and wanted to irritate them. Find me that in the Bible. I love Joseph. I want you to love Joseph with me. I'm sorry for taking so long, but I'm not very sorry. You children, when your father says, tuck in your shirt, You know why he wants you to tuck in your shirt? Because you look like a bum. You look like a slob. You look like an irreverent, disgraceful sluggard that just crawled out of bed. Tuck your shirt in. Say, yes, sir. Thank you for reminding me, sir. Pull up your pants. If your father says, pull up your pants, he doesn't want you to look like those that wear them down at their knees. Pants weren't made to be worn at the knees. Pants were to be worn at the waist. What a disgusting trait of a bunch of bums in our society. Amen. Listen to your parents. Trust them. Be like Joseph. They're looking out for your best interests. We tried all those stupid things. Most youth want to follow the fads of the world. They want to dress like the losers around them. They want to be sloppy and they resent being told what to wear by parents, even if it's something to make them look better. You don't know how to look better. You're not smart enough yet. You haven't lived in the world yet. You haven't been out there where distinction in clothing leads to your success or your failure. You do not know these things. All you're doing is looking at some retarded magazine like Seventeen. If you take all the editors of Seventeen and the fashion designers and add them together and square the result, their intelligence is still below room temperature. They're nothing. But yet little girls will flip through Seventeen. Those are devil-possessed men and women of this society trying to corrupt the women of our generation. Don't you listen to them. They don't know what's successful. That's why they have to work for 17. 
If they had ever encountered any success in their life, they'd be working for a real magazine instead of a little mad magazine for teenage girls. I'm thankful for the trip we took to Washington. I have no... I have respect for Washington because the Bible tells me to have respect, but other than that respect, I have very little respect for Washington. But when I was in Washington, I'll tell you one thing, they know how to dress. They know how to dress, and they sure don't dress like anything at Haywood Mall or anything else in Greenville County. All you people that work at offices that have casual days and casual this and casual... Forget it. They know how to dress. When you see the president appear, he's dressed appropriately. You can set your standard by the first man, the first woman of our country. They don't wear nightclub clothes. Why? Because that's a slut. They know how. They, they already know that they know the difference. Let trust your parents. Be like Joseph. Here am I. No father in here is going to give you some goofy looking color plaid coat and say, wear this 24 7 because it makes me feel good. All they're going to do is ask you to wear a few things to save money or to look distinguished, to look conservative, to look. Disciplined. I'm not mad at any of you. I've already told you my secrets. I'm terrible. I want all of you to be better than me. My whole goal in life is for you to be better than me. And that isn't, that isn't aiming very hard. Hi. I want you to be, I want you to be like Joseph. I want you to be like Joseph. I want you to be great. I can't go back and live those years. All I can do is repent for them and preach against them. Verse 4, And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. You know what? Joseph could have, behind his father's back, told his brothers that he despised his father, that he hated that kind of treatment. He could have gone and bought them dope, bought them cigarettes, done what little errands for them to have won their favor. He didn't do anything like that. He did not care that they all hated him. That was universal hatred of, of Joseph by all his peers. His ten brothers hated him. He didn't care. Are you that courageous? Are you that courageous? He didn't care. They hated him. They could not speak peaceably unto him. Could Joseph by doing favors for them against their father, have shown himself one of them and won their approval? You bet he could have. Men have done that from time immemorial. He did not do that. He was not a compromiser. He didn't care about peer pressure. He didn't care about his brothers. He didn't compromise to be accepted. And this shows the character traits of contentment. Contentment. He was content if his brothers wanted to hate him because he was approved by God and his father. So who cares about his brothers? He was content. He was convicted about being righteous. He wasn't going to compromise. He wasn't going to play around with sin just to get their favor. He was full of courage. He knew it was going to bring their wrath upon him. It didn't matter. He was full of resolve. I am going to do what pleases God and pleases my Father, and I'm not going to change. He didn't care what they said about him, did to him, or were thinking of him about him. He was happy to be loved by God and his father, and he didn't care what his wicked brothers did. He didn't let the thoughts, words, or actions of other influence him at all, even though he was 17, a very vulnerable age. 
Their thoughts, words, and deeds were not going to influence his thoughts, words, and deeds. His thoughts, words, and deeds were going to be held to the standard of God, God's Word, and his father Jacob's instruction. Joseph had character. He didn't care what his brothers were doing. He didn't care that there were ten of them. He didn't care that all ten were older than he was. Thank you, Lord, for Joseph. I wish I'd have been that courageous in school and with other 17-year-olds when I was 17. I can't go back, Lord, but I ask your forgiveness and to let me at 49 be different from every other 49-year-old so that I can follow you more perfectly. Are you all with me on that? Were you foolish at 17? Did you care about what other 17-year-olds thought? Verse 5. And Joseph dreamed a dream. And he told it his brethren. And they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and for his words. And he dreamed yet another dream, and told it his brethren, and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee to the earth? And his brethren envied him. But his father observed the saying. Praise the Lord. One passing remark. When you read through there, notice that sun, moon, and stars often do not mean sun, moon, and stars. They are prophetic symbols for other things. The chief ruler, the sun, which is the greater light to rule the day, is Jacob. The lesser light to rule the night is the moon, and that is Rachel. And the eleven stars are eleven suns. Are they going to bow down to Joseph? Yes, they were. But notice the prophetic language here and the use of symbols for real things. What do we learn from this right here in these verses? God revealed Joseph's future to him. This wasn't just yakking about dreams. This was God told Joseph the truth. And Joseph was not afraid of the truth. He declared it, even though he knew it sounded rather arrogant, it sounded quite impossible, and it was going to provoke his brothers to hate him even more. He told it anyway. Do you have that kind of courage for the truth? When a discussion takes place where you can say something in the workplace, are you able, are you willing to confess the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you able and are you willing to declare, well, this is what the Bible says about that. Are you able and willing to do that? Joseph is able and willing to do that. How many of you young people, when your parents aren't around, do you boldly pray before eating in public? Do you boldly do it or are you ashamed of doing it? Do you cringe doing it? Are you fearful doing it? Listen, you're the only one eating the right way in that place. Forget all the rest. They're going, to give an, they're going to give an answer to God why they didn't thank Him for the food they enjoyed three, five, ten times a day like we eat in America. Don't you ever be ashamed. Right. 
you bow your head and you pray and you pray long. Oh, get into it. Wax eloquent. Don't just say God is great, God is good. Let us thank Him for our food and raise your head. Don't do it with your head up while you're staring around the room. Go ahead and show them. Joseph was not afraid. He proclaimed the truth. God's revealed Himself to me in a vision. This is a dream that I've had. He wasn't out there. You know, we all have dreams. Sherry could have asked me this morning what I dreamed about last night. Oh, I, I, oh it was a terrible night. We, I ate too late. I ate too much. You know, I had lots of dreams. And dreams come through a multitude of business. But we, we, he wasn't just yakking about a dream. He had a special dream. You know, most of your dreams you can think about while you're asleep, while you're dreaming them, but you wake up and you're trying to remember, what in the world did I dream? But I sure am messed up this morning. It wore me out. That dog that was chasing me, I couldn't get away from it. Oh, I hate that one. You know, it's because you're in bed and you can't run very fast when you're laying in bed. You've had those dreams. This was not a dream like that. God revealed Himself to Joseph in a very specific dream of the future. This was like Pharaoh's dream. This is like Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And He declared it to His brethren. He didn't care what they thought about it. This showed His boldness for the truth. His reverence for God and no fear of man. Most youth are ashamed of their religion. Let me, let me confess my sins again. When all, the, when all the guys would be standing around when I was 5, 10, 15, in the public school, what does your father do? What does your father do? I was ashamed my father was a minister because that was Twinkie stuff. My father's probably aghast at me telling stuff like this. I had the greatest dad in that whole school system. Those little perverts that I hung around with, I don't care what auto plant their father worked at, my father had the greatest calling. And yet, because of my carnal, wicked spirit, I was ashamed to be attached to religion. I'm confessing my sins to you to tell you how little I was like Joseph. But I tell you how much I want to be like Joseph today. And I want all of you to be like Joseph. My, my father had the greatest calling in that community. My father will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and hear, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. None of them will. I know what kind of people I hung around with. Are you able to say, but the Bible says this. Do you know what you're going to be accused of if you say that, even to Christians at Bob Jones Academy? But the Bible says this. You're going to be a little twinky. You're going to be a little goody-goody two-shoes. You're going to be a little Christianette. What are you trying to be, an evangelist? Oh, don't even think that. Be like Joseph. Listen, this is what the Bible says. You little morons. Oh, well, don't do, add that. That's just what I'm thinking. You can think it too. If they're going against the Word of God, tell them. This is what the Bible says. But our teacher said this. But the principal said this. But my father said this. 
But God said this. Caleb, I hope when you're in the lunchroom and it's time to eat your lunch, you can bow your head and say, God, thank you for this food. I know that it came from you. I love you and I want to serve you. Amen. And then eat your food. I hope you'll be great like the Caleb in the Bible. I hope you'll be greater than I ever was. And I mean that. I want all you young men to be like Elihu. He didn't care that there were four ancient men that were incredibly wise sitting around him. He said aged men should be wise and you men should have answers, but none of you have answered Job or this situation properly. Now I'm going to give you my opinion. There is a spirit in man, the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. I have some understanding from heaven. I'm going to tell it to you right now. Now sit down, stand up, whatever. It depends on what chapter you read. Shut up. And listen to me because I'm going to give you my opinion. Amen. He that is perfect in knowledge is with you. Now that's kind of arrogant, wouldn't you say? That's what Elihu said about himself. But there's no arrogance in that when you're speaking on behalf of God. Do you know what he said? Suffer me a little to speak further on behalf of my Maker. There's no arrogance in that. Are you afraid to talk about your Maker? They're all going to give an account to Him someday. I know what it's like to sit in the financial centers of this country as a man at a table set for four, for six, for eight, for ten, and have them all with their cocktails. And the finest fare is delivered to the table. And you've got to make a choice. Are you going to bow your head in front of all of them and give thanks to the God of heaven or not? I've been there many times. Sometimes I was a fool. And other times, I love to honor my Lord in front of them all. Oh, it's wonderful to raise your head and look at them and to see the shame over all their faces. And then, well, maybe we all should do that. Oh, but I'm telling you, it's a challenge to your faith. Joseph, I love him, comes out and he tells his dad, he tells his mom, he tells his brothers. He wasn't afraid of the truth. Brethren, that's all before break. I know I didn't make very much progress. In fact, I didn't make any progress at all. But I hope that you have in your heads Joseph. You know what I hope that we say to each other from this day forward, from time to time? Would Joseph do that? When you children see each other doing something they shouldn't do, you shouldn't do, would Joseph do that? What would Joseph do? When your parents ask you to do something and you go to your room and you're upset at your parents, what would Joseph do? Sit in that room and realize Joseph wouldn't be upset at his parents. Joseph would have said, here am I. And he'd be doing it. May the Lord bless. May the Lord bless our children to grow up to be Josephs in this world.